Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus and this opportunity that we have to, from the craziness and the stresses of life, to pause on this Sabbath day and to bask in your glory, to celebrate your goodness and your love, and to reflect on your word. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would guide our thoughts this morning, speak to our hearts, and you know the message that you can apply to each one of us individually this morning, for we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So why the book of Daniel? And Jesus, in a previous presentation I gave a couple weeks ago, it was on Daniel and the lion's den, you remember that presentation? We had the endorsement by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. I love books, and when someone gives me a book endorsement, I'm like, oh, wow, another book I can read, and ask my wife if I can purchase. And here we have a book endorsement from Jesus Christ, and this is an endorsement from not just anyone, but from the Son of God himself, and it's from that great end time chapter, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Jesus is giving a book endorsement. And to my knowledge, this is the only book endorsement that Jesus ever gave. This is not saying that we should not read the other books in the Old Testament. But here Jesus is saying, living the end of time, you need to read, study, and understand the book of Daniel. Dr. Leslie Harding gives a few reflections on what Jesus is giving here in Matthew chapter 24. And five different Ideas embedded by the endorsement given by Jesus Christ. Ideas embedded within the endorsement by Jesus. Number one, Jesus took for granted that Daniel was a prophet who had written an inspired book. Notice that Jesus says, Daniel the prophet. There's scholars today that say that the book of Daniel is not really written by Daniel. It's not trustworthy. It was written hundreds of years after Babylon. That's why it's so accurate. But Jesus says the book of Daniel can be trustworthy. Daniel the prophet. It's inspired by God, and Daniel is a messenger of the Lord. Number two, the book of Daniel should be studied. Jesus said that the book of Daniel should be read should be studied. Number three, Jesus promised that the book of Daniel would be understood. This is not a book that's going to be some sort of mysterious and unintelligible beasts and symbols. This is a book that should be and can be understood by the Holy Spirit. And number four, the book Daniel's predictions reveal end-time world conditions that will be fulfilled. In other words, the book of Daniel gives predictions that Jesus says these things will come to pass. They will happen. Number five, 
The book of Daniel's messages are, what does it say? Are practical. They're not irrelevant. They're not pie in the sky, by and by propositions and ideas that have no bearing on practical daily life. He says it is practical, and those who grasp them must do their part in escaping the dangers which will face them. So Jesus says study the book of Daniel. So based on this divine endorsement given by Jesus Christ himself, we're going to take him up on that. Amen? Amen. And say we're going to study the book of Daniel. Jesus said, look, study the book of Daniel, especially if you're living at the very final moments of his history. This book should be read, should be, can be understood, and it's a book that is trustworthy and inspired by God. Testimonies of Ministers, page 114. When the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood, believers will have an entirely different religious experience. They will be given such glimpses of the open gates of heaven that heart and mind will be impressed with the character that all must develop in order to realize the blessedness which is to be the reward of the pure in heart. Very quickly, some background on the book of Daniel. The name Daniel means God is my judge. I'm so glad for that. Amen. I'm glad people are not my judge. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He knows my intentions, even though I'm messing up all externally. He sees what's on the inside. The last day church, Laodicea, means a people judged. So scholars believe that Daniel and his life is a type, a demonstration of God's last day people living right before the second coming of Jesus. This is not just bedtime stories. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. These are real stories that will be played out thematically in the end of time before Jesus comes. The book of Daniel, according to Dr. Jacques Ducan, who's professor of Old Testament at Andrews Theological Seminary, he says that the book of Daniel is a literary genius uh, depiction of poetic beauty. Uh, And this is the structure of Daniel. Uh, You can see that it's what we call a chiastic structure. Um, Chapter one stands alone by itself. It's the introduction to the book of Daniel because it begins with the Babylonian captivity and ends with Cyrus and the end of the captivity. It's an introduction to the whole book of Daniel. And then you see the lines that go there. Chapter two is parallel to chapter seven. Chapter three is parallel to chapter six. Give you an example of that. Chapter three, Daniel three friends on the plain of Dura, the fiery furnace. Chapter 6 is Daniel in the lion's den. They are parallel because the same issue, worship, the same penalty for not worshiping, death. So those are parallel, chapter 3 and chapter 6. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 are parallel, Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar. Those two are examples of characteristics that we are to avoid as the final events are taking place. And then you can see the other ones there. And then the second example is another uh, way of looking at the chiastic structure. 
Daniel chapter 1 is a summary of the entire book of Daniel. It begins with the captivity and finishes with the conquering of Babylon by Cyrus the Mede, thus ending the captivity. The rest of the book of Daniel does not take place if Daniel chapter 1 does not take place. It's at the beginning for a reason. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. Let's go there in our Bibles. And it sets the stage for what is taking place here. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. In your study guide, you'll see a few references there on the Babylonian captivity. I'm not going to have you turn there, but you can read it on a Sabbath afternoon that you have some time. The Babylonian captivity was actually predicted first during the time of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was told by the prophet Isaiah that he would die. And Hezekiah said, Lord, I want to live longer. So Isaiah, right after giving the message, comes back into the courtroom and says, the Lord has just shown me that you will live longer, 15 more years. You know, sometimes when it's time to go, it's time to go. Those next 15 years were not spent in the best way. And the people of God suffered because of Hezekiah's mistakes. And Hezekiah said, I want a sign. I want proof that I'm going to live longer. So God gave him proof. God moved the sun backwards. Remember that story. There's a few scientists and astronomers that are looking up at heaven during that time. And to their amazement, they witness the sun going backwards. And they inquire around and ask, how could this be? And they find out that Hezekiah's God made the sun go backwards. So they get on their camels and go off to Jerusalem to find out more about Hezekiah's God. And what does Hezekiah do? Tell them about God? No. He tells them about his 401k and his stock portfolio and his gold room, and his diamonds, and his jewels, and that's all he did, and sends the Babylonians back on their way, and Isaiah comes back into the, into the court of the king and says, because you have done this, your descendants will be taken off to Babylon. You know what Hezekiah says? It's okay, because I'm going to be dead. What a guy. So Daniel... Daniel's the poor soul that gets taken off into Babylon because of Hezekiah's unfaithfulness. And the book of Jeremiah predicts that the captivity will take place for 70 years. And the reason for this was the children of Israel were not faithful in keeping the Sabbath. So the Bible says that they will rest the land for 70 years. It was to be a sabbatical. This was actually predicted in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 64, by Moses. He says that if you're not faithful in taking the gospel to the world, we will take you to the world. And that's exactly what happened. Daniel was taken to the very court of the most powerful man in the world. And because of Daniel's faithfulness, Nebuchadnezzar will be in heaven. Praise his name. There's only one chapter in Daniel that's not written by Daniel, 
and it's written by the king Nebuchadnezzar. And we'll come to that chapter in the upcoming weeks here. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, that they were taken to the land of Shinar. And for the Bible student, the name Shinar rings a certain type of attitude because if you look in Genesis chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, this is the first time that the term Shinar is used. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, the first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, Canaanith, in Shinar. This is shortly after the flood, and Nimrod, who was a great hunter and city builder, went out to establish these great centers of civilization, and one of them was Babylon, and it was located in Shinar. Babylon became the origination or the place from which idol worship and sun worship originated. This is all the way back in the book of Genesis. It's nothing new. It's been around for a long time. And Shinar is known in Scripture as a place of paganism and the center of paganism. The next time it's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 and 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, that is Babylonia, and settled there. That is why it's called Babel. That is Babylon, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole world. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel. And we say that when someone, a child, is first learning to talk, we call it Babel. Well, this is where it comes from, because the languages were confused at the Tower of Babel, and Babylon has become synonymous with this idea of confusion. The intention of the people around the Tower of Babel was to build an edifice that would defy heaven, which is why it's very curious when I saw the symbols used by the European Union. Uh, this has a strange type of uh, allusion to the Old Testament. Uh, Europe, many tongues, one voice. I don't know exactly what to make of that. Evidently, they like this symbology of the Tower of Babel so much that they used it in one of their buildings as well. Someone knows some Bible history. Now, we come to this story in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, and we come to our Keith passage this morning. We can spend a lot of time reflecting on this. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel was taken to Babylon as a teenager, 16, 17, maybe 18 years of age. He's taken there with his three young Hebrew friends, and they were placed under Melzar, who was known as chief of the eunuchs. Daniel was a eunuch. They wanted to ensure that his mind was always on the king's business. You don't hear about Mrs. Daniel in the Bible. So you can imagine this. He goes through a very painful surgical 
procedure and has to go on a 400-mile march from Jerusalem to Babylon, and they go through this process of assimilation. They're given new names. They're given a new diet straight from the king's table. And Daniel goes into the Babylonian cafeteria and looks around and says, I can't eat this. Now, you're probably like, are you kidding me? Daniel chapter 1 is about diet? Well, you're absolutely right, because you remember the first test in the book of Genesis had to do with food. Now, we'll come back to this idea here in a moment, but Daniel and his three friends go to Café de Babylon (laughs) at Harvard. That's where they're at. This is the elite university, Ivy League, Princeton, Yale, Harvard, with the the best of the best, the brightest of the brightest, and they're going to the cafeteria, and they're going through line, and there's all kinds of delicacies. You ever been on a cruise before? I went a couple times. All I did was eat. Just amazing. All types of food. And so there's all types of food at Café de Babylon, and they're looking around, and they say, We can't eat this. Now, there's some lessons that we can learn from this story before we get to the main thesis. And the first couple have to do with specifically applied to our young people. Adults, you can apply it to your own context. First one is choose your friends carefully. Amen? They say, show me your friends, I'll show you your character. You want to know who you are? Look at your three closest friends. It's not by accident that Daniel was faithful in Babylon and he wasn't alone. He had an inner circle, a community of support. And when Daniel had problems, he went back to his friends and they prayed together. Pick friends that are going on a journey toward heaven. Amen? Not the other way. Pick friends that are become, want to become like Jesus. The other lesson that we can draw from this has to do with our academic life. Daniel came out on top at Harvard. Never think that in order to get ahead academically means compromising your loyalty to God. Let me say that again. Never think that to get ahead academically means compromising your loyalty to God. I can't tell you how many times in my graduate studies I was tempted to think, you know what, I'm going to skip devotions this morning because i got to study. To say, look, I'm too busy, I'm going to put this aspect of my life on hold, I'm going to not have devotions today. But what Daniel's life shows is that God is the source of all knowledge. I mean, who who do you think invented knowledge anyway? He is the source. And it is through communion with God that our intellectual capabilities are enhanced, not downgraded. I think of this young man who was going through the University of Michigan Medical School, which is where Ben Carson went to school. He was there, a medical student, 
was asked to be president of the student, Adventist Student Association. He said, oh, I don't have time for this. The Lord was calling him to do it. And he said, okay, I'm going to put you first in my life. Put God first in his private life, in his devotional life and ministry. Devoted hours to campus ministry. At the end of his medical school experience, Dr. Mike Orlich came out number one at the University of Michigan. If you're faithful to the Lord Jesus, he will honor you. The other lesson that we can draw from Daniel chapter 1 is the temptation to rationalize and compromise. Daniel could have said, you know what? I got to get ahead. Please pass the camel sandwich. (laughs) Right? And the pork chops and that rabbit stew while you're at it and just go through the line and say, you know what? I'm in Babylon. I'm going to compromise to get ahead. And we think in our small human frame that we come to a situation in which there is, quote, no way out from our human perspective, thinking that the only option in this case is to compromise my loyalty to God. And I think of this statement in the book Prophets and Kings. Do right because it is right and leave the consequences with God. I mean, do you believe that God exists? Sometimes I feel like I'm a theist when it comes to my devotions and then I walk out the door and I act like an atheist or at best a deist. In other words, God doesn't really interact in my day-to-day life. Well, all along, God was making a way by giving favor with Daniel with the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel didn't know this, but God was making a way for him to succeed. I mean, how do we know that this is the only option? Unfaithfulness. Do right, because it is right, and leave the consequences with God. He will take care of that. The other lesson that we can draw from this Never underestimate the impact of little things. It was just a little thing. Diet, food in the cafeteria. (laughs) Come on, I mean, just, just food. I mean, I'm in Babylon. Just eat it. But what we don't realize immediately as we read the story of Daniel is that this one step of unfaithfulness would have been a domino effect that would have framed the whole rest of his life. We would not have the book of Daniel if he had said, pass the pork chops, please. Little decisions lead to big decisions that frame the whole trajectory of our lives. Adam and Eve, just a little fruit. Look where we are today. Never underestimate little, quote, little decisions of faithfulness. There were a few issues with this food. Number one, in your study guide, four issues with the food at Cafe de Babylon with the Babylonian diet. Number one, the drink provided was alcohol. Now, there's 
some scholars out there that say that Jesus turned water into vodka, but that, that is not true. That is not true. There are two words for wine in the Bible, or there's one word for wine in the Bible, oinos, and it can refer to grape juice, fermented or unfermented. And the Bible is very clear in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29 through 32. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it is red in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, in the end it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. Friends, this is not Welch's grape juice here. This is talking about fermented wine, alcohol. Number three, the food was offered to idols. Remember, Daniel was in Babylon, and by eating the food, he was sending a message to the people around him that he was subscribing to the Babylonian gods. Number three, the blood was not drained in slaughter. And in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 12, it says, you must not eat meat that still has blood in it. What do you think it is that gives meat flavor? It's the blood. It's the blood. You should not eat meat that has blood in it, according to the book of Leviticus. And number four, the Babylonian diet included unclean meat. I encourage you to read Leviticus chapter 11 of the differences between the clean and unclean meats in the Bible. Now, the question is, what was the Daniel diet? And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, Prove your servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Now, some um, translations actually use the word vegetables, but I like the term pulse because in the original language, it springs from the word seed that is a reference back to the Genesis diet. Very interesting that in Babylon, Daniel asks for the original diet. Vegetables, or pulse, is the more accurate translation. And here's the Genesis diet, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every green tree, or every tree that has fruit-yielding seed, it shall be food for you. So Daniel eats the Genesis diet, and... After three years, he goes in for an oral examination before King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says that these guys are on another level, academically, intellectually, I believe even physically, than all the rest. So here we have this fascinating link in Daniel chapter 1 between the body and the mind. They are linked together, and we see the result of the Daniel diet. Not only academic achievement and intellectual ability, but we see here in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. This is talking about spiritual understanding and discernment. He was under, able to understand the prophecies of the Bible, and he was given illumination by the Spirit of God. Daniel was given spiritual insight and understanding. 
So here is the thesis of my entire presentation. If you forget everything else, here is the rub. Here's the thesis. You ready? In order to understand the prophecies of Daniel, we must eat the diet of Daniel. Amen. Let me read that again. In order to understand the prophecies of Daniel, we must eat the diet of Daniel. We're not talking about elementary school addition or subtraction here. We're talking about calculus. We're not talking about spiritual survival and being saved. We're talking about spiritual excellence and advancement. So I don't want anyone to misunderstand me that I'm, Pastor Shin is here talking about salvation by diet. That's not what this is about at all. We're talking about spiritual discernment. There is a link in Daniel chapter 1 between the ability not only of intellectual insight but also of spiritual insight. So if you want to understand better the prophecies of Daniel, try eating the diet of Daniel. That's the thesis in Daniel chapter 1. It's talking about spiritual insight and understanding. When I was a child, I had a particularly weak constitution. I was always sick. I had asthma. I remember one time I had an asthma attack for two weeks. I could not breathe easily for two straight weeks. I was sick constantly. And I struggled with my health all the way through elementary school, all the way through high school, and then when I got to college, I got malaria, which broke my constitution even more. And I had very little mental stamina. I would be exhausted after studies. And finally, I got to the place where I said, you know what, I'm sick of being sick. I'm tired of being tired. And the Lord impressed me, start exercising. So I went out, ran my first 5K, thought I was going to pass out. Kept on running, uh, ran a 10K, ran a half marathon, and by the grace of God, I finished a whole marathon. Someone said, you're running a marathon, did you win? And I said, you don't run marathons to win. <laughs> you run marathons to finish, especially if you have any Kenyans in there. And so I started exercising, and that built my constitution even more, and, uh, but there was a problem because I hated eating salads. Anyone else like me? I mean, I just, I just can't handle the green stuff. You know, I can handle fruit. And so, so the Lord was leading me in a certain direction of cutting out certain foods, you know, the sugars and things like that, just because I couldn't eat it because I would get sick. But then I was eating mostly, mostly just processed food. And, and uh, you know, I knew our health message, and I knew what we should and should not eat. And so I was striving, but I wasn't arriving, and I still haven't arrived. But uh, the green stuff just wasn't working for me. And, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, I, I decided to sit in on a seminar by uh, Paul Volk. He provided an excellent seminar for our Sabbath school today. And, you know, you can never hear 
about principles of health too much because you know what happens is after a while you start to just forget. So I sat in there and one of the emphasis was eating more leafy greens. And so, <laughs> wow, we went to Costco. Isn't Costco wonderful in Anchorage? Wow, got a big old bag of those power greens. You know what I'm talking about? Ziploc bags, it's got kale and all types of other stuff in there anyways. So I decided to put all that stuff in a Vitamix. Couple, couple of bananas, just helps it go down, right? <laughs> bananas and packed all this green stuff in there and just hit high, blended the thing up. First thing in the morning, I chugged it. And I want to tell you, I was like supercharged. I'm just giving you a testimony. I was like, whoa, I mean, what has happened? It was, I mean, I was nutritionally deficient or something. So, you know, and I've been taking this thing, whatever you call it, every morning. I even had it this morning. I've been taking this thing, and I told my wife, I'm not a genius, but I feel smart. I had a doctoral paper I had to turn in a whole chapter this week. It was due on Tuesday, and I'm there, and I'm like, you know, you have ministry obligations. You know, we have a one-and-a-half-year-old, all these things juggling. So I sat down. I cranked that thing out, turned it in four hours before the deadline. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. And so hence was born the series on Daniel. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The Daniel diet. This is what we're talking about here. This is not legalism. I'm not there, I got to drink this to be saved, count my seven almonds of perfection. <clears throat> you know, that's not what we're here for. And I know that in the Adventist church, you know, sometimes we've gotten abused by health reformers. You know, I've been in certain circles where my, my plate is watched like a hawk. I'm like, well, what are you doing, man? Like, and that's not what we're about. We don't eat in order to be saved. We eat in order to glorify God and because there's natural blessings that come when you cooperate with Him. You know, this is not a burden, it's a blessing. You know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because you've been abused by someone with a health message doesn't mean it's all bad. It's the medium, not the message. And we need to remember that. There's blessings. And I've gotten abused by this thing too, you know. I'm like, whoa, come on. You're, you're kind of militant there. You're scaring me, brother. But the reality is that there is a tremendous blessing and benefit by following the Daniel diet. Like I said, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about spiritual excellence. Fundamental difference between the two. There's an idea here in this passage in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, to these four young men. Notice the part here, I intended to have this part be blank, but I missed it. God did what? God gave. To these four men, God 
gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and knowledge, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Notice what's happening here. There, is, there are natural blessings for healthful living. But notice what happens when we cooperate with God by living out our lives so that we can receive the benefits of these natural blessings, cause to affect blessings. When we do it to glorify God, God multiplies the increase. While we're working on the part of addition, God says, I'm going to come up board and give you multiplication. So Daniel's like, I'm going to live faithfully for the Lord Jesus in my, in my dietary life. And God says, I'm going to come and add to the blessing. You can see this. This is an active part where God gives to these four men. God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and knowledge, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So here's the blessing. When you say, I'm going to live healthfully to glorify God, God says, all right. Amen? Amen? I'm on board with this. David Shin took you so long to learn this, but I'm here. I'm here. I'm going to add on top of that. How many of you need more of that from the Lord? How many of you are tired of foggy brains and just being fatigued all the time? I am. And when we say, Lord, I'm going to cooperate with your natural laws, God said, I'm going to add to that. I'm going to give you something in addition. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And I'm so glad that this comes at, in Romans chapter 12, not in Romans chapter 1. You following me? What's Romans about? The gospel, being saved. Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 8, the process of salvation. And then way later in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore. Now, when, anytime you see the word therefore, you know that it's a concluding word. In other words, premise, 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 therefore. He's just expanded on the beauty of the gospel, how we're saved by faith, faith in Jesus Christ, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift of God in light of all that. And he spent this wonderful, you know, just, just illustration, theological exposition of the gospel. And then he gets to Romans chapter 12 and says, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God. How many of you have been blessed by the mercies and the goodness of God? How many of you have been touched by the love of God? How many of you have experienced the joy and the peace that comes from God. So this is the context that Paul is talking about in light of everything that God has done for you. In light of that, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, in the context of what God has done for us and in the context 
of appreciation and overwhelming joy. We say, Lord, because of what you've done for me, I give my body to you. That's the context. The health message should always be in this context. Because if it's not, you're missing the point. Because of what God has done for me, I say, Lord, I give you my body. Out of appreciation, out of love. And I want to glorify you with my body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is a response of every Christian that has experienced the gift of eternal life. We say, Lord, because of what you've done for me, I'm going to glorify you with my body. What I put in my body, what I put on my body, I'm going to glorify you with everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We have a tremendous opportunity to minister to people that would never come to an evangelistic series through a loving presentation of the health message. We're coming in a time right now in the world, especially in the West, where healthful living has come into vogue. I was talking with one of the associates out in Northern Virginia. Mark Finley has started a community center in which they have that are presented to the community, specifically cooking classes given by Teeny Finley. It's a part in Northern Virginia where the median home is over a half a million dollars. It's a very affluent part of town, very rich, very affluent. A lot of the who's who and elite commute into D.C. in this part of Virginia, and they have opened their community center, their church, to a presentation of the health message through the medium of cooking classes. And they have just started, a few weeks ago, a cooking seminar held at the church in which they had 200 people from the community that registered and paid to come to that church and learn about healthful living. We have a tremendous opportunity. So many times we've been the tail and not the head. We need to take advantage of this message. And while so many of God's people are abandoning this message, we have people in the world that are embracing it. I want to end with a couple quotations. And the first one, specifically for our young people, Prophets and Kings, page 489, the spirit that possessed Daniel, the youth of today may have. Praise God. In other words, Daniel is not an anomaly. He's not a one-time deal. The spirit that possessed Daniel, the youth of today, may have, they may draw from the same source of strength. Young people, God is calling for men and women to stand for the right, though the heavens fall. Amen? Who will be true to duty 
as the needle is to the pole. God is calling you as a young person to stand in the court of Babylon and reflect God's character. Amen? Last but not least, quote from Prophets and Kings, page 490, the same mighty truths that were revealed through these men, God desires to reveal through the youth and children of today. Listen to this part. The life of Daniel and his fellows is a demonstration of what he will do for those who yield themselves to him and with the whole heart seek to accomplish his purpose. He's a demonstration of what God will do if we cooperate with him. What is God calling you to do today? What is God calling you to be? I am tired of mediocrity. I'm tired of being average. I'm tired of just being a median statistic. God is saying, I can make you excellent. Amen? Amen. I can make you the cream of the crop. I can make you stand out. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, the best of the best, God says, I can take you there. I can take you to the best of your profession. I can take you to the best of your career. And God says, look, walk with me. Cooperate with me, and I will add to the increase. Amen? The God of Daniel is the God of today. How many of you want to say, Lord Jesus, because of what you've done for me, I want to give my body to you. Amen? How many of you want to say that? Help me to glorify you with my body. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that because of what Jesus has done for us, you create in us a desire to respond, to give not only our minds, not only our hearts, but our bodies to you. To say, Lord, here it is. Be glorified through my offering to you. Help us by your grace to live the life of faithfulness, to live the life of Daniel. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.